In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. So welcome back, everyone. We hope you enjoyed our first substantive episode. I think that was a really fun one to get into. So something we didn't explain in our intro episode is kind of how we're dividing each month's episode. Angela took the first topic, which was the fight. And this week is kind of my episode, which is copyright. So this episode, we're going to be taking it way back to the second season of Atlanta, which to me was probably one of the best seasons of Housewives we've ever had. If you don't remember, this season was NeNe Leakes, Sheree Whitfield, Lisa Wu Hartwell, Kim Zolciak, and Candy Burris. One of the big storylines, which was just beautiful to watch, was Kim trying to become a recording artist. And oh my God. <laughs> we all saw that she did not... She had the the confidence, but she probably didn't have the skill. Lucky for her, Candy was on the cast, and Candy is a really, really skilled songwriter and recording artist. She's won multiple Grammys. I mean, she's highly successful. Like, can I just make a point about this real fast? Because I I remember this season, and I remember that. Okay, Kim Zolciak had, like, she at first was, this was going to be a country song. And, like, she had, like, this white guy, country dude, like, giving her these song ideas or whatever. And it was like, don't be tardy for the party. And it was something like that. And then she was talking to Nini, and Nini, like, she gave, like, she played Nini these ideas or whatever. And then Nini was the one that was like, I like don't be tardy for the party. And then she, Nini was the one that was like, keyed her in on that originally. And then it was like this perfect storm, like all the stars aligning where she had Candy on the cast with her and Candy was able to like actually take that concept for a song and make it into something good. 
That's right. what I remember. Yeah, it's kind of like Kim is this kind of grifter personality, <laughs> and this is just the song embodies that. It just worked out. The, like you said, the stars aligned for her to get this magical song written for her. <laughs> and like Kim took advantage of it, and this song is a bop. For those of you who haven't heard it or don't remember what it sounds like, look it up on YouTube. I think the best place to view it is Kim's first performance of it at the season two reunion. That was when she debuted it and performed it for the first time. (laughs) And like everyone's reactions were just beautiful. When I was researching this song, which has its own Wikipedia page. Wait, does it? I'm pulling it up yeah, right now. I yeah, know. pull up My the Wikipedia page. My husband and I, I made him listen to it in the car today in preparation <laughs> for this episode. And he actually, like, he is not a Real Housewives fan like us. I mean, he he knows of it because he can't help but absorb it because I watch all of them. But he kind Osmosis. of remembered this song. But I'm, I'm pulling up the, go ahead, I'm pulling up the Wikipedia yeah. page. Yeah, so the Wikipedia page, look it up. It has some hilarious quotes from people who viewed the performance. Donald Dean from the Huffington Post characterized the segment as an assault to the senses. While, (laughs) right, Brian Moylan from Gawker labeled it the scariest thing to happen on television since Britney Spears' performance of Give Me More in the 2007 MTV Video Music Awards, which like... That's saying something if it's being compared to that. I mean, it's a good song, though. The performance wasn't that good. The jury's mixed about the quality of the song. I Are don't you looking think at the Wikipedia page? Yeah, because I don't think it's fair to compare Kim Zolciak to Britney Spears in any way. Like, Britney Spears at her worst is like a talented person who <laughs> was at a low spell. And Kim Zolciak could never, ever reach any of the heights (laughs) of performance that Britney... So I don't feel like that's fair. True. This was Kim's high point. Yeah, her high point was like having Candy remix the song for her. (laughs) Right. Okay. How the song came to be is that Candy wrote the song and the music for Kim, who then recorded it. And they kind of, I guess, entered into agreement, it's unclear, to sell it. Kim took the song herself and entered into agreement to sell it on platforms like iTunes without really giving Candy the heads up about payment. Candy at first was kind of okay with this. She was like, all right, the song got sold, it's fine. But then eventually she's like, wait, no, this isn't fair. And then sues Kim for copyright infringement it's a complex case but an interesting one so candy actually hires phaedra parks to be her attorney in this lawsuit and phaedra became a cast member in season three so you're angela really (laughs) accomplished attorney you've had your own law firm similar i guess to miss parks okay don't compare me to phaedra because i i first of all first of all i mean I don't I have. have I don't also have a degree in mortuary sciences, so I am in no way comparable to Vedra. And yeah, I guess. What do you think of her as an attorney, though? I don't really think it's fair for me to have an opinion. I remember watching the show and watching um, when Sheree had the custody dispute with her ex-husband, Bob, and Phaedra was representing Sheree. And I remember watching that and watching Sheree be a very difficult client. Like, I felt like Phaedra actually gave Sheree good advice saying, like, we need to go after him hard. We need to file this first. We And was wanting to take, you know, more of like an offensive approach. And Sheree was just like, I'm not doing that. 
And then mm-hmm. also Sheree wasn't paying her. And then it seemed like Sheree wasn't giving her like uh, some of the documents or information that Phaedra needed. So I remember at the time watching that and having my own firm and kind of feeling sympathy <laughs> towards Phaedra. Cause I have also had clients that were like not cooperative and or lying to you and not paying you. So I felt like that's difficult. But then also as an attorney, you have a duty to not make your client look bad in any way, you know, like whether on TV or whether in the extreme example of like being on TV, but like you have a duty to not be disingenuous to your client's interest, even if it like compromises your own interests or your own business. So there's always like a very difficult line there. And so I remember just watching that and having some sympathy for Phaedra dealing with Sheree, who is a difficult, you know, the epitome of a difficult client. I don't have a lot of opinions on her as an attorney because I don't, I, I'm very, uh, I'm very circumspect about judging armchair quarterbacking and other attorneys performance in general. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just a lot of times you have to make decisions and you make that based on the best information you have or what your client's telling you or the circumstances are at the time. And those don't always turn out to be the right decision or the best decision, but it was a good decision. So I just try not to judge other attorneys on that basis. That being said, I will say I probably wouldn't have taken Sheree as a client in the first place. And then I've learned that it is a bad idea generally to represent your friends because it's always hard to ask your friends for money. When you are representing your friends, a lot of times they get offended if you ask them to sign an actual legal agreement. And when you have your own firm, when you're an attorney, especially if you're doing something on contingency, you have to have something in writing ethically. It's just, it just, it's a, it's a big old mess. And so it's just better to not represent your friends and to refer them to people who don't have that personal relationship with them. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I I know very little about, like, I haven't read the pleadings in this. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say and to learn about copyright law. But that's all I have to say right now is like, I just try really hard not to judge other attorneys because I know what it's like to have your own firm and to have difficult clients and it's hard. Yeah. So I didn't really, when I was watching the show, couldn't really understand what Phaedra's practice was. Um, (laughs) So I had to do some independent research. That was also difficult. (laughs) It was like, uh, she represented Bobby Brown. Is she an entertainment attorney? Which also isn't really a specific thing. Right. But then she like represented Sheree. It was just kind of like she did whatever came to her. Right. So that was interesting to research. Let's go through the complaint and let's okay. give you an understanding of basic copyright law. Okay, so this is the complaint that Candy hired Phaedra to file on behalf of the copyright infringement claim that Candy wanted to bring about Tardy for the Party, right? Yes, quote okay. unquote copyright infringement claim. Okay. So you touched on this in our prior episode, but what is a complaint? In federal court, a complaint is the a short and plain statement of the facts and then the legal claims that you're making. And it's just basically outlining what you are claiming and what you're alleging so that the other side, once it's filed and gets served with the complaint, understands what they have to defend themselves against. And most of the time, it doesn't have to be super specific, but you do have to allege, here's the claim that I'm bringing in here. Are the basic facts that support it. And here's the relief that I'm asking for. Right. So it's kind of like the step before you get into exchanging evidence and figuring out what happened. Right. Candy's claims are kind of a mess. <laughs> she gives some background. The things we know, she produced this song with Kim and Kim recorded it. Candy claimed that there was an infringement on her copyright ownership rights in the composition, in the sound recording, which I'll explain. And there was an unauthorized sale. 
What's missing from the complaint, and the court notes it, is why she thought this was all improper. And you'll understand what I mean by this as we go through. There are some other claims that she put in there, like estoppel, but for this episode, I'm just going to focus on the copyright infringement prong of the complaint. Okay. Kim then files what's called a motion to dismiss. And what is a motion to dismiss? So a motion to dismiss in federal court is basically where you file a motion to dismiss saying that under no allegation of the fact is a legal claim being made that could actually support the relief that they're asking for. A motion to dismiss is saying taking all of the facts stated as true, there is no legal claim for the relief being requested. The court has to look at the facts pled in the light most favorable to the person pleading them, which is the plaintiff. So taking all the facts in the most favorable light to the person asserting these facts, there is no plausible legal claim for relief being stated. When you have a motion to dismiss, that's what that is saying. Right. So Candy files the complaint. Kim files the motion to dismiss, which is trying to essentially knock out Candy's complaint. Right. Like Candy's complaint, Kim's motion to dismiss is also a mess, and it's kind of unclear what she's claiming. She says that essentially Candy ran out of time to file this copyright infringement action, and that there was an agreement, which you can't bring in evidence in this type of a motion. So she's like, we had an agreement. The court's like, I can't even consider this agreement because it's not part of these pleadings. Right. So here is a basic copyright primer, and here's what's going on kind of in this case. So a copyright essentially is just that you own this original fixed expression. You own this and that allows you to reproduce the work, distribute the work, adapt it, perform it, and display it. And someone infringes your copyright when they do this themselves. So when they like reproduce your song or when they make a copy of your artwork and like hang it up, that is an infringement on your copyright. And when you have a song like this song, there are multiple copyright interests that exist. So there's one in the composition, which is the lyrics and like how the song is structured. And then there's a copyright interest in the sound recording, which here it was Kim's singing of the song. So for example, say I write a song called The Bravo Docket. I write the lyrics. I like put the music notes on a sheet of paper, which I don't know how to do. And then I send you the song and I'm like, Angela, I give you permission to record this song. And then you, on your free time, <laughs> record the song, the Bravo Docket. I have an ownership interest in the composition, and you have an ownership interest in the sound recording. And so now you have the right to distribute the sound recording as you please. Okay, so like what, what you're saying is, is that, so, I mean, I think everybody understands, like when you see like the musical notes on a page, like twinkle, twinkle, little star, C, C, G, G, A, A, G, F, F, E, E, D. Like, so that's like the composition of twinkle, twinkle, little star. Mm -hmm. Like that's like the actual music notes of it. So there is the creator of that has a copyright. And then the person that sings twinkle, twinkle, little star, which I'm not going to do because I cannot sing. (laughs) (laughs) The person that sings it has an interest in like the recording of their own voice. Is that yeah. Right. Am I getting and, this right? Because I, I don't know yeah. anything about copyright law. Yeah, that's okay. correct. And essentially, it's like when people sing songs, they have their own stylistic expression that happens when they sing it. And we talked about this before, but this song probably wouldn't have been this popular if it weren't for Kim's wonderful stylistic expression in the song. You know, I don't think okay. it would have well, been... I, <laughs> I really like. I would say if it wasn't for Candy's mixing of the song and production of the song. Okay, no, I mean I agree. Kim's personality made the song entertaining. Yeah, like, that was 
Well, like, okay. Okay, but I have another, I, wait, I have another question, yeah. though, because I want to, I want to make sure I understand this copyright law. Okay, so Dolly Parton composed I Will Always Love You, mm-hmm. right? That's her song. Like, she wrote the words to it. She composed it. The notes, whatever, that Dolly Parton wrote that. But then it became, like, super popular when Whitney Houston sang it and did a cover of it. So, like, how does that, like, because I know Whitney Houston had to pay Dolly Parton for the rights to this. Like, how does that work yeah, with copyright Yeah, so Dolly? she probably had an agreement where, I, I don't know what their agreement was, but maybe it was, right. like, Dolly got a cut of the royalties that, or, like, some of the okay. proceeds that Whitney Houston made off of that song, recording that song. But, yeah, so Dolly still owns the composition. So Dolly still owns the song. The composition. Because I even remember, yeah. But Whitney like, Houston's sound recording it's a separate ownership interest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what happened here is we know Candy wrote the lyrics. She kind of composed the song. So she has an interest in the composition. Kim recorded it. And I think maybe Candy also provided vocals because they acknowledge in their Candy acknowledges in the complaint that it's a joint ownership in the sound recording. So that's a little bit more complex. It's like, say you have a band, like the Beatles are recording the song. They're all joint owners in the sound recording now, and they all have an interest where they can sell or distribute the work. So here, Candy and Kim have a joint ownership in the sound recording. Okay. And I think that's kind of like what Candy wanted to focus on in this complaint. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, it's complicated. It's like a lot more complicated than I thought, actually. Yeah. So this stuff, you know? I mean, there's like huge litigations basically trying to figure out who owns it. A big part of some of the cases I work on is going through these tons of agreements because then once you get like a recording company involved or a music publisher right. involved, these contracts get really complex and it becomes kind of a contract issue instead of just like a pure copyright issue. And you're like tracking who the heck owns this and were they in their right to sell it or were they in their right to distribute it? You could spend months trying to figure this stuff out. So it's not as clear cut as like Candy owned the song and Kim messed up by selling it. Like it wasn't as clear cut as that. Okay. And going back to a point that I wanted to make, I don't think, like, I think if Candy had recorded this herself, I don't think it would have been as successful. I think it was Kim's, like, zhuzh that, like, made it what it is, to, to use a term that isn't a real word. I mean, I have to say this was some of the best reality television that has ever been created. Watching somebody with Candy, I mean, Candy can write. I mean, I remember her, like, talking about how she, like, hummed a melody in to somebody's voicemail and because she was like I, I've got this melody in my head and and you can watch her and like her level of skill and knowledge and just like joy for what she's doing Candy really is an artist and a creator and then you have Kim who's just like a mess totally. and but it's like we love we love mess we love mess <laughs> we love mess we love that. <laughs> so you watch Kim and it's like she's chain smoking and drinking constantly. And then like, you know, she's like, well, I, I she originally wanted this to be a country song. Don't be tardy for the party. And then she ends up recording this song. But like, because her ridiculous personality that is so entertaining, I agree with you. Like this song is not, it's not like a Grammy winner, but it's entertaining on the basis of, like, because also Candy wouldn't do something just this ridiculous on her own. Mm-mm. But Kim's. No. It takes a special person. Like, can you imagine Taylor Swift singing well, this song? It wouldn't. <laughs> Actually, yeah, okay. you're right. I could. But it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same. Kim 
has an ownership interest in her sound recording because it's what she did. Taylor Swift would just be different. Okay, but like, you know? Kim so like, can't actually sing, and you listen to the song, and it's like super auto tuned. Oh, so, like, yeah. if you have a. Okay, tell me this. If you have a producer that's auto tuning your voice, does the producer have of an ownership right of the recording so, by like taking yeah. your voice and making it palatable? That's litigated as well. So, it depends okay. on like how much they've contributed to the song. Because <laughs> we could hear we could hear Kim sing this yeah. acapella, and it would not sound the same. <laughs> so, well, that would not sound like... Speaking of acapella, one of my favorite YouTube videos of Kim is the raw audio from her singing The Ring Don't Mean a Thing. If you haven't oh listened to that's, it... That's another amazing reality television. Oh, we're my gonna, God. We're going to put a link to this on our website because it's... I, yeah. I get it stuck in my head, which is weird because the key <laughs> changes don't make sense. It's like... Whoa, whoa, the ring whoa, don't, whoa, 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 whoa. Like the, the audio is just... Chef's kisses. I love it. I love whoever put I it on YouTube. I remember watching that episode and her being in there and Candy being like, "You have to sing. You have to sing this." And like I said, to Candy or Candy sent Kim to a voice coach who was like, first of all, you need to stop smoking. <laughs> right. Second of all, like- one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Legal Team. Have you guys been on Quince's website recently? I shopped on there like three years ago for the first time and bought myself a bunch of cashmere sweaters. I lived in the black cashmere sweater, lived in it. And I hadn't shopped on there for a while because my cashmere sweaters lasted for a really long time. But I decided to go back on there and oh my gosh, have they completely expanded everything that they offer. The workwear, they have washable silk. And I mean, it's so affordable. I also shared with you all that I'm recently engaged and I'm in the middle of wedding planning. So anytime I'm shopping, I'm thinking about wedding, 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 wedding. And they have everything I need for the wedding. I just booked my honeymoon. We're going to go to Southeast Asia. It's going to be hot there. And I've been looking for good linen pieces. Guess what? Quince has good linen pieces and they start at only $30. Then I'm like, okay, we need to get our wedding bands. You know who has fine jewelry now? 14 karat gold, Quince. So I send the link to Avery and I'm like, you have to get your wedding band from here. It's affordable and it looks just like any other wedding band. I mean, it looks great. Another thing I'm doing, again, I have wedding on the brain. I want to look my best. 
So I'm like, okay, I really want cute little matching sets to go work out in. It's the only way I can get motivated. I have to like wear a cute little matching set. I've gotten really into Pilates. And guess what? Quince has the matching sets. They look identical to matching sets I've already purchased from another sports brand. They have the same thing. And at a fraction of the cost, I was able to get two tops and one pair of pants for the same price that I could only get one set at this other sportswear place. I mean, come on. Quince is just killing it. If you've shopped there before, it's time to go back on again. They have just completely expanded the categories of goods that they have to offer. They're not just all about cashmere sweaters anymore. They have got a ton of stuff, and I highly recommend you go check it out. If you're ready to go try out Quince, go to quince.com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is an amazing guarantee on their goods. So go check it out. I highly recommend it, guys. Okay, so where were we at? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, okay. so Kim and Candy have a joint ownership interest in the sound recording, which means either of them could sell the song. Either of them could distribute it. But technically, when that happens, you should give half of the proceeds to the other joint owner. That didn't happen. None of that happened. So here's what the court does, which I think is kind of like... People didn't expect it. I think people thought Candy would win. Well, because Candy has, first of all, Candy, like we all, we all do that song would not sound good without Candy. Right. Like Kim has the level of personality and making it entertaining, but still no one's going to want to listen to just pure garbage. And so without Candy mixing it and like, I still didn't she use Candy's like production. Did she even pay for like the production? Like the work that went into polishing this rock to make it shiny was all done by candy so i think yeah and when i remember when i was watching it i assumed candy won because one candy clearly did the work to make this something that you'd want to actually listen to and two candy has like resources like candy is not poor she's that not woman is poor. talented and smart and has like songwriting credits on super popular songs but she's, and is um, smart with her money she mm-hmm. She admitted she's bad with her businesses. And I think this is one of those instances where she did not think this out. I think Candy put like, like thought that Kim would do the right thing. You know, I thought because that was so brazen of Kim to just be like, even though it's clear that this would not be what it is without Candy, I am. I think Kim was savvy enough to talk to a lawyer and be like, the lawyer's like, well, legally, you have a right to all of this. Like, she can't force her. Yeah. Like, she can't force you to pay for this without like proving it. And Kim was like, okay. Yeah, so the court grants Kim's motion to dismiss, as we were talking about earlier, essentially throwing out Candy's case. And the court did so primarily by holding that there wasn't enough pled in Candy's complaint to find copyright infringement. The court notes that Candy didn't properly plead anything at all. The court also says both sides' submissions were complete messes. <laughs> and they're like, what, do, what do you have to plead to prove? Like, what is like, your basic complaint for copyright infringement. Like, what are the basic things you have to state? That you own the interest that you're suing over and that there was actually infringement. Candy does neither of these. She never says that she owns either the copyright interest in the composition or in the sound recording. I mean, she says it. She's like, obviously, I own it. But you have to register your copyright before you sue. And that just gives, like, the public a heads up that, like, I own this. Do not steal from me. You can't have copyright infringement when you own it. And like we just discussed, 
Candy and Kim have a joint ownership in the sound recording. Kim can't okay. infringe something that she owns. So you can't steal your own car. Okay, that makes sense. So like Kim and Candy, so like Kim and, okay, let's try to put like make a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> let's say like Kim and Candy both own jointly built a car together and they own the car. And then Kim is driving around the car or loaning the car out or something and getting paid to rent the car out. And then Candy isn't getting the benefit of that. And so Candy is mad about that. Is that kind of like what you're saying? Yeah, Candy's mad about it, but she doesn't sue about the money. She says, Kim doesn't own this and she's infringing on my ownership interest. But that's not true. Kim does have an interest in the car. She does own part of the car. She's not... She's not stealing from herself. In our, in our maybe not so great metaphor, both of their names are on the title. So if you called the police on someone saying they are driving this car without my permission, they would just be like, well, my name's on the title. It's my car too. Exactly. And that's, okay. Okay. Pretty much what's happening All here. Right. Yeah. Okay. And like we said, you have to plead a legal claim in order to survive a motion to dismiss, in order to move on with yes. the lawsuit. You have to plead something properly. I want to redo what the court said. (laughs) It just speaks to how messy this was. The court has done its best to understand plaintiff's allegations and claims despite the party's ambiguous and often confusing submissions. The memoranda (laughs) submitted by the parties... By the way, that's shade. It's shade. That is shade thrown by a federal court. mm -hmm. Basically, it's like, you gave us a pile of garbage and we're doing our best to sort through this garbage. That is is shade thrown by... The memoranda submitted by the parties in this case (laughs) were shallow analytically and the legal research superficial and deficient. As a result... Whoa! Yeah. The court had to conduct independent research and analysis... At a level that is ordinarily not required in matters where both parties are represented by counsel. <gasps> right? Y'all, this is some serious legal shade. Right? Read that last part again. At a level where the parties are not ordinarily represented by counsel. So like, they're saying that this pleading was so bad. Both. That this is basically like pro se, which means when somebody files something without an attorney and you're just writing shit down. This is some serious... Also, well-written legal shade. Like, I know. This is this is bad. The first sentence I read was in the body of it, and then this is in a footnote, but it is like the most satisfying footnote I've ever read in a legal document. I just pulled it up. The memoranda submitted by the parties in this case were shallow analytically, and the legal research superficial and deficient. That is, that is serious. Essentially saying there is nothing. There is nothing of substance in either one of these parties' submissions. There's nothing. There's no properly pled copyright infringement. There's nothing. We're going to post the link to this actual, like, oh, yeah. on our website. This is this is some of the best legal shade I've seen. Like, this is bad. It's, okay, continue. It's so bad. This is bad. so juicy. I didn't, so, know, it's, I didn't know any of this. I know. It's so juicy. I've been dying to tell you. I've been dying to get to this episode so I could read this quote. Whoa. So the court then very kindly gives the parties a primer on copyright, which is the primer that I just <laughs> gave to you guys. Essentially gives them a copyright 101. The court's like, you never claimed you owned it. You actually claimed, she put this, Candy put this in her complaint, that Kim had a joint ownership interest. She admits it. 
Okay, to be fair to Candy, it's Phaedra, her attorney, who put it in the complaint. Because yes, yes, we yes, know yes, Candy yes. wasn't drafting a complaint. Yeah. Okay. So it makes it worse that it was Phaedra. Because it's drafted by an actual attorney. <laughs> right. Oh, she also admits that Kim was in her right to sell it. So then it's like, what the heck? Why did you file this? You never say you owned it. You claim Kim, actually, if, if you owned it, had joint ownership. And you claim that Kim was in her right to sell it. So what in the heck is she arguing here? I had no idea that the federal court literally read them like this. Bad. The court sorts through this mess, states there's no copyright infringement here. And the court, bless the court, determines that both Candy and Kim are conflating bad accounting between co-owners with copyright infringement. So yes, Kim owed Candy money technically, like she probably owed her half of what she was making, but that isn't copyright infringement. That shouldn't go before a federal court. This instead is a contract dispute. This instead should be about personal accounting. This isn't about copyright infringement. To go back to your really helpful car analogy, when you're on a lease together in a car and someone sells the car and they're in the right to sell the car, you don't go and sue them then or like press charges for theft. You go and you sue them under the contract, maybe in like small claims court. And there in the car situation, like here, you don't go and sue someone for copyright infringement when they have an ownership interest in the copyright. No, this is outside of the realm of that. This is like a proceeds issue. You're saying I didn't get fairly paid for what I was owed and I deserve that. So the court throws it out, doesn't even get to the other claims because technically a federal court can only listen to, not to get too in depth, but can listen to federal matters. Copyright infringement is always in federal court because it's under the Copyright Act. But when you don't have copyright infringement, it shouldn't belong in federal court if there's no other reason for it to be in federal court. Yeah. So the court dismisses it without prejudice, essentially saying, go find the right jurisdiction, figure out your claims, and you can refile this in state court. But it's so freaking unsatisfying. The kicker, Kenny never does that. She just lets it go. She just, even though the court outlined for her what she should do, like, hey, go to state court file this again, file it as like a accounting thing. Candy just lets it go and they end up settling. So it's the most unsatisfying case I've ever read. And it makes me question Phaedra. So, okay, Atlanta is in the 11th circuit for federal mm-hmm. court. So all of the federal courts in the country are arranged into circuits. And one of the things that I love about federal court and practicing in federal court is the federal court has pattern jury instructions. And as a trial attorney, the first thing that I do when I have a case is I go to the jury instructions because the way the jury instructions are written, which is one of the things that I actually really like about the United States justice system is that it has to be written for 12 ordinary people who are not lawyers to be able to understand what you're claiming. So I always start there and I go to the jury instructions and say, what are the elements that I would have to prove to a jury when I am analyzing a case that is given to me? And I honestly recommend, especially if you are a baby attorney starting out, if you get a case, look at the jury instructions first and then see if you have the fact and legal pattern that will fit into these jury instructions, especially because they are written by really, really smart people in committees that have been lawyers for a long time that have usually tried cases. And so they know, okay, this is what you're going to have to tell a jury. So Phaedra could have just done that because the 11th Circuit has, I believe, copyright ones. 
Reading this, I think she was like, I know copyright infringement law. I'll take this case. And then like word vomited everything she knew about copyright without realizing it wasn't a copyright infringement case. She like somehow didn't have the ability to realize this wasn't what she knows. Well, but also, okay, one of the things that they teach you is if this is not an area of law you routinely practice in, you need to ask for help before you, like, you need to talk to somebody else. I mean, I have my own practice, and a lot of times I would get cases that I knew were good cases, but I didn't practice in that area of the law. So either I would refer that case out, or I would go to this other attorney and be like, hey, try this case with me, like, or supervise me or whatever. I'll, like, and you can write up the legal fee arrangement where they get part of, like, whatever you recover as long as the client agrees to it and so forth. Like, you don't, like, you don't just try to, like, wing it. That's a bad, that's always a bad idea to try to wing it. And I don't think Phaedra was a copyright attorney. Well, yeah, she represented Bobby Brown. Yeah. But I don't know, like, in what types of cases. So I think she was just like, I got this. And if you read the decision, it kind of reads like she just threw it, threw anything she knew about copyright on there. So Kim, after this ended, to all the blogs, was like, I won this lawsuit. And I guess, like, she won in the sense that it was all thrown out. She didn't win in the sense that, like we talked about, what she did was right because she should have been giving some of the proceeds to Candy. Well, this is an example, I think, of where like the law allows you to do one thing, but then ethically or the right thing to do is maybe not just just because legally you can do something doesn't mean that it's like the right thing to do. And I feel like if Kim had been maybe a uh, smarter person that could see like the big picture, what's the better idea here? What's like, what's the better thing to do? Would it be to um, alienate this person that has been really nice to me and furthered my music career that has contacts Mm -hmm. with, you know, all of these, I mean, she's literally like worked with Mariah Carey and she's won a Grammy. Maybe I want to keep this person on my side. And so even if legally I could get away with keeping all of the profits from this, like, even if I'm not a good person. But she like, can't. But she can't. Legally, she she's not supposed oh. to. Legally, she is supposed to give half of the proceeds to Candy, but it's not a copyright infringement it's a, oh, issue. it's a contract like issue. Like I was saying, it's... It's like a contract issue. It's out of the realm of copyright infringement because Kim owned it. Copyright-wise, she didn't do anything wrong. You can't infringe something you own. Outside of copyright-wise, she didn't share the proceeds. So that was wrong, legally wrong. So, But that's what I was saying. What becomes so frustrating about this is that Candy could have sued her again in state court for that money, oh, and she, she didn't. Oh, she could have sued her for breach of contract. Yes. Okay. In state court, and that's the that's why the court dismissed it without prejudice, and she could have refiled this in state court, and she just for whatever reason let it go, and they claimed they settled out of court, and oof. maybe Candy was just like, I have so much money, this is just not worth my effort. I don't care. Take your dumb tardy for the party song and just do whatever. But the thing is, like, yeah. Kim even has a TV show now called Don't Be Tardy. Like, she is, like, built upon this exponentially. Is that show still on? I've never watched it. Me neither. Yeah, it is still on, though. Okay. <laughs> I hope everyone has learned something about copyright infringement. <laughs> this was, like, the highest level I could go. Okay, so, like, the 11th Circuit says... I just pulled up the jury instructions because I was curious. Copyright validity general charge to establish infringement... Plaintiff must prove two things. First, you must find plaintiff owned a valid copyright. And second, you must find defendant copied the work's original component. So, yeah, that makes sense that, like, if they both owned it, yeah. 
that you can't copy what you own. Like, that's pretty basic. So she appreciated that law, but somehow still continued forward with it. I mean, again, I'm trying very, very hard not to judge Phaedra's lawyering because I don't like to do that to other attorneys, but this is... (laughs) You should have been. Oh, no, I'll judge her. That was, it was bad. <laughs> I'm not a copyright attorney either. Like, <laughs> so that's that. That's that lawsuit. That's the don't be tardy for the party lawsuit. I think everyone kind of knew about it, but wasn't sure what the heck happened and how it. It was really unclear. I mean, even as an attorney watching, I know that it was like brought up like, oh, you filed a lawsuit and then it got dismissed and then Candy was just kind of like, whatever. Like, but it wasn't, I don't know anything about copyright law and I don't think most people do. So even as an attorney, I remember watching that and being like, I don't know exactly what happened there. But then I just yeah. probably kept drinking my wine and didn't look it up. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, I know copyright. I'm going to nail this and go through it. And then I was like, oh, God, I don't even know what this is turning into. So And then you look it up and then it's ride. like, not copyright. It's breach of contract. <laughs> You're like, damn it. It's like, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But yeah, fun, fun thing to get into. Thank you for joining us on this wild adventure through Don't Be Tardy for the Party. and <laughs> Don't be tardy for this well, lawsuit. Don't be tardy for this lawsuit. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.